0: You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome, listeners, to the SDSU Football Podcast. I am Andre Verdian and joined as always by Paul Garrison. How you doing, Paul? Fantastic, brother. How are you? I'm doing good, man. We made it to the Big Five O. This is episode. 15. Unbelievable,
1: unbelievable.
0: It's pretty cool how uh, we've ended up here. You know, after we've mentioned it on the podcast a few times that you know when we started this, we had no idea where it was headed. You know, maybe <laughs> do one, one or two a month, and we have definitely. Yeah, over over overextended that uh estimate for sure
1: no but it's been fun it's been fun doing these man and i think it worked out really well because this this episode man is is super exciting because i think as 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 you said one of our guests people really enjoy the guest more than they enjoy hearing us ramble so for 50th man i thought we got the perfect group of people to uh come in and talk
0: yeah, for the fiftieth episode, we didn't get just one special guest; we got two. There you go. Uh, and we'll get to those a little bit later. First, let's let's do a quick recap of the San Jose State game. You know, I think it was the first, the best game of the season, offensively for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of big plays offensively, big plays defensively. Obviously, didn't get to, didn't get off to a great start, but. Um, how it ended up was obviously something that a lot of Aztec Nation were very happy about. Uh, how did how did you uh, take in that game?
1: I thought Jordan Bird was the hero of that game. Um, I thought that there was an opportunity for that game to get away from the Aztecs for them to, you know, they, they don't fold. I mean, that you know, that's that's just not who they are. So would not expect them to. I would never expect them to to give up on a thing, but the momentum was just so far in the other direction um, that it had the feeling of like, uh Oh, you know, and, and judging by how the season had went, if there was a team that was going to win convincingly, it was going to be San Jose state. It was not going to be the Aztecs. And so for Jordan bird to hit that home run, touchdown um, in, you know, the, the kickoff return. And I mean, the way he did it, man, I mean, that, that was not, it was not one of those, you know, like against Utah last year where it was just blocked so perfectly that him and, you know, Cepho could just run through and nobody would touch on them, you know? So I, I just thought that that was a special moment by a special player. It was just needed. It was just needed for, for, for him to be able to step up like that.
0: It was funny when they asked him uh, what he was thinking on that play. He was like, I'm just thinking about what Coach Deke tells us is don't let the kicker tackle you. <laughs> That's what's going through his mind is don't let the kicker tack tackle me. And so it was it's it's pretty cool. He became the first player in FBS since 2018 to in one season to get a kickoff return touchdown, a part return touchdown, a receiving touchdown, and a rushing touchdown. And he almost had a passing touchdown.
1: I'm kind of like, mad at Jay Rudolph now.
0: Yeah, the, the defender didn't make – Jay Rudolph could have made a big, better play for the ball, but the defender was also there. And oh, no,
1: he would have he had to have made, like, a sports yeah. center top 10 play where, you know, you've seen it a couple times where they go around the defender and they're able to, like, pin it against their back. Um, no, he didn't really have yeah. a chance. I just meant that, you know, if he could have come up with that to to be able to throw it. But, hey, there's, there's two more games and – uh you know, maybe it can happen.
0: Yeah, well, I think the best part about the offensive production was how balanced and spread out it was. Uh, you had three receivers that had at least four catches. Each had a touchdown in Shavers and and Matthews and Makai Shaw. Who had a big game himself. So uh, Jalen Armstead had his first career rushing touchdown. You know, he had a he had a punt return touchdown when he the Arizona game where the ball hit the the back of the up man, and and Jalen fell on it. So that was his first touchdown touchdown, but this was his first rushing touchdown. The offense is uh, definitely on an upward swing over the last five games, and this was the best performance, most complete performance, if you look at it that way. The first half at Fresno might have been just as good, but obviously that didn't didn't sustain for a whole game, and the way the game ended, there's not a lot of positivity uh, to look back on. But uh, it's going to be really cool to see how the team finishes out the season based on how they're doing offensively and defensively. Cause the defense is playing really good too.
1: I agree. And I, I think that this is, it was one of those games where, you know, who the Aztecs were going to be, I think was, was going to be determined. And if they were going to be a middling team, that was going to be around 500, just barely scrape into a bowl. Um, and, and now they, they have the, the, the potential to, really you know have a have a season that you look back on you go man if they could adjust or something like that um but but they're right there doing that and and I think not only does this help for these last two games and then the bowl but with the idea that you know that Jalen Maiden is coming back and what it can mean for next year I, I think that um you know, you could look back at the San Jose State game as as one of those games where you really saw it come together for the first time. As you said, spread the ball out. Um, I thought Makai Shaw was just fantastic. And, it, it you know, he's had moments, but just to be consistent throughout a game as as being a dangerous target, I thought that was pretty special for, for, you know, a hometown guy, a walk on, just thought that he played really well.
0: Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot mostly about the offense. The defense obviously came up big after the first two drives, five sacks. You know, Brady Hoke had, you know, maybe some reverse psychology talking about how the defensive line for San Jose State he thought was the best in the country and how, you know, he knew that that would tick off, you know, players in his locker room. And, and it worked because those guys played really well. Jonah Tavai has just been a monster this year. He had three sacks. I think he's... Near the top in the FBS in in terms of pressures, sacks, have an amazing year. Like, I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about Michael Shawcroft for potential defensive player of the year in the Mountain West, but you'd have to put Jonathan Tavai up there along with some of the other guys from the other teams. So he's just been playing lights out. And the secondary has really improved its play as well. Uh, Both the safeties and the cornerbacks are making plays and not giving up as many big plays. So, uh, a lot of a lot of positivity uh, on the defense as well.
1: Completely agree, and you know, uh, following up with your point about Tavai, when you start getting in that hunt for for conference player of the year, there's just those games, you know. And to have three sacks, he had unlike I can't remember the number, but it was it was five or six pressures. And he he was just he might as well have been a fullback for San Jose State because he was just in the backfield. <laughs> the entire night, they knew to, to block him obviously, but they weren't rushing more than four guys very often. They were, you know, dropping a lot of people back and it didn't matter. And it didn't matter the angle that he came from. It didn't matter what, what was going on. He was going to pressure the quarterback. And it, it was, it was, you know, you talk about conference player of the year. And I would say like before San Jose state, you're like, Oh, well, you know, Peral- you know, there's other guys, But man, he, he, he had a special game. I mean, a really special game. And then, you know, Des Malone, I think has really helped to solidify the defense in just being able to hold down one side of the field and allow just kind of the other parts of the field to have a little bit more help from, from other players. I think one of the big stories of the year is, um, Sidarius Barfield. I mean, to, to do what he did against Arizona and then to stay with it and get opportunities you know to play um in a backup role and now obviously with the injury to um, Baskerville it's just it's it's a redemption story and you know I think it's what makes college sports so much better um you know years ago Rocky Long talked about you know this isn't the NFL if somebody has a bad game you don't get to cut them and go get somebody else I mean these these are your players and to see a young man, you know, start really high because there were high expectations for him in that position and then to, to not meet them, but then to work his way back. And, and he, I thought he was, he had a fantastic game. Um, I like the the balance that it gives the defense by having two guys who can cover at that warrior safety position. And so it, it is, it's an exciting, exciting um, defense. And I think that these last couple of games, I think there's, a, there's a lot to tune in for and to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I know we a lot on social media this week talking about Makai Shaw potentially getting a scholarship because he's a walk-on, but Devon Celestine yeah. is also a walk-on, and he's right. been a starter since week two, plays every snap. I think the last two games he's played every snap on defense, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. even more than the last two games. Well, I definitely some, once Baskerville went down and Barfield came in, I think Celestine has been playing every snap. So yeah. probably, and I believe they have one scholarship open. Okay at the moment so there might there's probably this at least battle for this season if they if coach hoke which he said possibly yesterday when i asked him about potential scholarships for walk-ons there might only be one available and two guys fighting for it for now obviously next year is a whole different issue with people leaving and people Mm -hmm. coming in so there might be Mm -hmm. opportunity for both to get one
1: yeah no, I agree with you. And and, and it's a good segue, um, I think, to the conversation that we have with Craig Smith, where we were asking him about walk-ons and how that works and guessing and having no knowledge whatsoever. But, you know, maybe one of them has an avenue to be able to have more financial help with yeah. the tuition than the other one. And that might make sense. But all things being equal, I think you got to give it to the older guy, right? Yeah, Right. I mean, I think I think that would be a a good way to do it if there was only one. But um, I think looking into next year and what these guys have meant, it it would be um, a surprise or definitely a topic if if these guys don't have a scholarship next year.
0: Yeah. As you mentioned, our first guest today is Craig Smith. He's the new director of player personnel at San Diego State. Uh, He took over from Matt Rosano, who was the previous uh, director of player personnel. Craig has been with the program for a couple of years under operations. So um, he's not new to San Diego state, but he is new into the recruiting world. And it was really cool to kind of pick his brain on the, on recruiting and how the transfer portal and NIL and all that stuff has factored into how that works. And with, with early signing day coming up in a month, it's a really busy time, a lot of stuff going on. So we were appreciative of him to, you know, take 30 minutes out of his day to come talk to us. So, let's get to that interview we want to welcome craig smith to the podcast how are you doing today man doing pretty good how are you guys
2: well well for sure good good
0: the early signing period for class of 23 is just a few weeks away you know you have some verbal commits obviously this program isn't allowed to talk about anyone specific until they sign but what does the program hope to get done before that signing period day
2: Yeah, the biggest thing, obviously, is starting with your needs. Um, Obviously, you kind of start there with any class, uh, kind of obviously seeing where um, things are falling. And that's a little uh, challenging uh, with the new day and age a little bit, with uh, the transfer portal a little bit, and also with uh, the COVID years. Um, So that obviously plays a factor. Um, And with our program specifically, we we really hold those conversations postseason. So sometimes the discussion of position needs and numbers are kind of always uh, forever changing. And, you know, we can use an example and uh, talk about Jalen Maiden, for example, obviously started out had him at the safety position um, and that type of number. And now he's at quarterback and uh, coming back, you know, already announced that, you know, those numbers are forever changing because, you know, you're recruiting certain positions and how things kind of transpire there. Again, that's kind of the starting point is always uh, figuring out what's your what's your recruiting and how many you're recruiting at those positions. Um, And then obviously starting in San Diego um, is our, our very first starting point.
0: Yeah, it's, you mentioned that about the numbers game, right, with scholarships and things like that. Obviously, the primary focus right now is 23, but you guys are pretty deep into recruiting for 24 as well. So how do you and the rest of the staff kind of juggle future seasons when you're having these discussions with players and you don't know if you're, who you're going to have back and you know how many scholarships you're going to have, so things like that?
2: Yeah, and uh, really we start, and that's kind of, and every program handles it a little differently when it comes to how far out are you recruiting, um, and how you know you—they call them committable offers. That's a big thing you hear out. Um, and obviously, when you're recruiting those younger guys, you're obviously looking athletically um, if they feel, uh, fit obviously the mold and fit your program, and then get to know them a little bit. But you're really always you got those better relationships, obviously. And, and NCAA rule obviously you know permits certain things. Obviously, right like right now we can't talk to twenty fives and just. You know, a little bit, a little ways ago, we were able to talk to twenty fours now. So, uh, really, we're starting that that relationship building process. But again, we're really just looking at overall um, athletic ability at a lot of those positions and seeing if they fit our mold. We're putting, you know, offers out there. But a lot of times, people aren't making those decisions this early. Um, so we don't have to really know exactly where our numbers are when it comes to those positions quite yet for the class. But we do know, hey, if we do have a safety spot, this is a guy we definitely or if we have, you know, this type of spot open, uh, we definitely want to obviously, you know, look at this kid. Um, and he's an operable kid. Uh, so that's kind of where that starts with the 24s. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's very challenging uh, to look that far out. But at the same time. When you build that relationship early, that goes a long way deep into the recruiting process. You kind of always have to get that at least started and get your kind of foot in the game with those guys um, down the road.
1: So a big topic um, everywhere in college football is conference realignment. And I've got to imagine you're asked about it. The team's asked about it on the recruiting trail. I mean, how do you how do you respond to recruits considering San Diego State has been at the center of everyone's predictions and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh,
2: and that's kind of albeit uh, it's funny you say that. And uh, uh, with certain articles or when certain things are released, and, and that's kind of what we always reference, uh, obviously, when it comes to our program, we're never going to put out something and put a rumor mill and stuff like that. We're always going to use hopefully factual items because, as recruiting is, that's the ultimate of the recruits are doing their homework and fact checking because everybody's obviously selling their own programs. Um, so the nice part is, you know, with conference realignment, if you go out there on the internet or go out there on anywhere you search us, um, there's a lot of people talking about us in that conversation. Um, so it's something we're not just, you know, making up uh, internally or trying to sell to a recruit. This is real talk uh, when it comes to, obviously, there's major, major networks putting out that we are in those discussions or, or in those mentions. So, in, in our obviously, our athletic director has come out um, and made statements that we are obviously in conversation and those different things. So there's obviously things that we reference and try to keep it factual. Um, when it comes to the referencing of that but yeah i can tell you when uh it kind of i'm going to say it hit uh, national networks that was about latin it was last mondays we were really uh, picked up we had people and i'll be the first day we had people you know major recruits hitting uh that may have not been uh, somewhat interested but now are interested um and and that, to be honest some some don't honestly realize what the transitional period will be some think it flips overnight when that stuff happens um we obviously know that it doesn't but it's exciting. Obviously, that excitement uh, builds a lot of uh, things we can kind of carry on to, with the, especially the freshman class, high school kids specifically, because by the time they're here and you talk 24s right there, uh, again, they'd be a year removed if that was the case. You know, if we were entering, you know, if it say it takes two years, that's kind of always the, the timeline, I think, in my head. But, uh, again, those guys are really that – they'll be real for them. We'll be in the conference at that point if that's the case, if that's the route we went. So, again, definitely helps in recruiting. Uh, uh, we definitely reference it. And again, but we try to keep it um, obviously very factual.
1: Hmm. Very, very interesting. Uh, another huge selling point, obviously, is that Snapdragon Stadium, and and I guess there's multiple elements to this. Uh, for years, right, playing up in Carson, just having that opportunity to have local kids be able to come to a game. Um, is huge. but could you just touch a little bit, I guess, on that and then also touch on just the the demand of recruits wanting to come see the stadium and and how all of that those visits and things like that are going? yeah,
2: and uh, it's funny, and obviously I took over uh for uh, Matt here as of recent uh in the last season. so um hearing him and I was very close with Matt and got to you know ask questions I still ask him questions to this day. he still lives in San Diego. and you know, the different dynamic of not just Carson but obviously at Qualcomm uh, prior to was, the ticket demand and all those things, um, were a lot, uh, you had a lot more obviously availability. Um, so there was no to dial. It was actually an open link. Um, so we've actually had to change our process when it comes to, you know, ticket request and recruiting in general. It, it is all a, um, I would say, I'm going to say invite basis, but at the same time, uh, we start locally. We obviously are always going to start locally, uh, when it comes to that and obviously, but we can't, it's not limited, uh, just the seating capacities and all those different things, uh, when it comes to Snapdragon. So, it definitely has uh, created obviously excitement uh, when the recruits come. Obviously, it's a huge selling point. We've had multiple, multiple recruits that have visited all different power fives, and obviously, have been blown away by Snapdragon. Um, so that that is uh, definitely uh, whether you, we. It's it's always hard choosing if we're going to start with it or end with it. Uh, to be honest with you, on visits and different items, because uh, that's always a debate. Do you want to go out with a bang or do you want to start with a bang? It's kind of always the. Uh, the debate we have um and again we're having events out there with official visits we got official visits coming up we do we've been having lunches out there with uh, our top official visits during the season so we actually have that prior to the game uh, we're out on the pier uh, we have a lunch out there with the families and the, with the recruiting staff and uh, we, uh, we have a big event coming up uh, in december for a big official visit um in the eighth uh ninth so those uh again we are definitely going to use that facility as much as possible because uh, obviously it's uh it's a wow factor for us.
0: You mentioned Matt, obviously Matt Rosano, your predecessor. You know, he did a great job in that role. What were you, what aspects of his approach were you careful to make sure to continue uh, when you took over that role?
2: Yeah, a lot,
0: uh, to be honest with you. That was the very, and
2: obviously this is, and I'll be the first to admit, uh, I had a lot of learning to do on this uh, job. I was not recruiting prior, so there was a lot I was. One of the things I lean on, obviously, people have wisdom in this area and also coaches. Uh, Coach Horton is a guy I lean on, but Matt um, obviously did a lot of great things. Um, his classes speak for himself and the, you know, the people that he helped uh, bring into the program. But again, his biggest thing, honestly, was he, he had a great system in place when it comes to the processes um, and letting those play out. And, and obviously, when and we call it... Uh, we say we call it hallway recruiting uh, is what, uh, you know, you don't want those things where you're just throwing things out there and there's not much sticking. There's got to be a process and organization to it. Um, so it's not just, you know, some people think it's just talking to people and getting that that done. No, it's got to be a, a time, you know, a, we have, we use ARM software as uh, the software we use, and it's got to be very dialed in from a, you know, organization standpoint. So I, I would say that was the biggest thing is making sure the major things were not dropped. And I'm a creative mind. That's one thing, background that I, I came from. I helped Matt in recruiting when it came to that stuff. So those things I knew I wouldn't struggle with when it comes to coming up with creative solutions, you know, graphics and all those different, you know, different little things, nuances that you try to do to make it special. Um, that wasn't the area. It was more of the organization and, and the processes is carry on exactly what he had set up in those systems. And obviously, learn them. Uh, it wasn't just carry them. I to learn them to start, and then go from there. So,
0: uh, yeah, you mentioned the graphics part. I believe when we had Matt on the on the podcast earlier, before well, when he was in the role, he did mention how you were part of that that social media team, that the graphics. A lot of the the recruits get certain um, you know welcomes for or have a good week or things like that. Uh, just tell us how what part you played in that.
2: Yeah, so originally, um, I would say, too, when I first came uh, here three seasons
0: ago, that was a piece that I
2: in. Honestly, um, it was when I first got into football or athletics in general and, and coaching and all those different things, it was one of those things that was just becoming very big in college football. Um, so it was one of those things that I self-taught myself off YouTube just because uh, it was one of those things I, I kind of got my foot in the door that way. Uh, places, if you had experience in that, they kind of wanted you to be a part of the staff. So I used it as something to kind of separate myself Uh, originally, when I got into the industry. Um, And then I carried on. Then I got to meet a lot of people and network uh, with a lot of people in this industry that really was in graphic and creative media. Um, And so I built a lot of relationships that way. And so once I got in and got in different roles, I saw a notice here that, you know, we needed to get somebody in a role. And and Justin uh, Truong, who's uh, really done a fantastic job for us last year, he's actually been an intern. Um, I'm not going to speak uh, ahead of schedule but hopefully uh here soon uh, there may be he may be on our staff so we'll see but that uh, again he is a, a game changer for us not only for our recruiting but also just with nil and all the different stuff he the access to media for our current players um and the amount of photos i mean if you go through and school sparks is a uh, company that evaluates uh, creative media across the country uh, and there was a stat put out last year, of how much interactions we had changed over the last year and how much generation social media wise. And that plays into recruiting. And that's why I referenced that. I know it's team related. But again, them, them seeing our brand and them seeing us and our football program, um, obviously going throughout the schools is huge. So that, that's kind of the part that I played. It's kind of I was the middleman after I was the starting piece. I was really building the graphics, doing it all video wise uh, initially. And then uh, really have just been managing more or less now with Jamie. And obviously Jamie does a phenomenal job, but uh, there's a certain amount of manpower and with how college football trended, uh, you got to have someone that's doing recruiting pieces, game invites, you know, you do the good lucks every week. uh, And we do, you know, obviously you do mass um, producing of that type of stuff. So it's a lot of work that goes into it, but right now is more or less again, Justin does a phenomenal job for us. and I kind of just oversee, try to get ideas to him. Um, you know, we just made a new name badge. So we're really excited about it. We met with the, a company called Dosemail. Um, they do a bunch of different creative media stuff that they come up with ideas. So again, it's just kind of the overseeing piece of that is what I'm more involved in.
1: Yeah, we're really appreciative of Justin. He, he really treats our media people really, really well in the field and um, those relationships and stuff. But NIL, one-time transfer rule. Um, the conversations a year ago was man, what is this thing going to be? How is it going to work? Being a year fully into it, what is it that you I guess know now that maybe you didn't know when this process started?
2: It's uh, it's funny you <laughs> reference a year, and I would reference uh, something I don't know a day ago about it. So it just it just again, it's forever changing. Um, obviously, Michelle, who's our NIL coordinator, has done a phenomenal job. A very being very uh, informational on it um, and being very uh, kind of keeping us up to speed. Now that doesn't always correlate to deals and obviously being on top of it when it comes to recruiting and all those different things. And Coach Hope will be the first to say, and that'll be an off-season thing. You'll hear come from our program a lot. Um, it is something that we've got to always um, be improving in, and we are going to be pushing um, the collective that uh, a former player of ours has started, which is now legal to do. Um, so I, I can speak on that now, which previously, um, that rule recently just came out about two weeks ago that we were more able to speak on those types of items. Um, so we're going to be pushing things like that because it is a game changer for us. Um, again, you saw, you're going to see on my social media, I retweeted a deal that came from that recently. Um, you're going to see my retweets of all those guys that were posting on deals that are coming from a collective of ours. You're going to see that. A lot more in college football um, in general of of pushing uh, people towards that because it is, again, a game changer when it comes to recruitment. When we're bringing these kids on official visits, we're not selling, again, you legally are not selling them that they're going to come here and make money on it. You're just showing what your current team is doing. Um, That's ultimately all you can do uh, when it comes to legalities behind the NCAA is really just showing them, hey, what our current team does, whether you would do that when you get here or not, is kind of the that's the game that the recruits have to play. They're kind of uh, do they trust you? That when they get here, they're going to be doing something similar. They're going to get involved, and we're not really again not involved in that deal. It's with that collective. If they continue to do those deals, hopefully that's the the route. But that's our encouragement. We can promote it um, now. We can obviously encourage people to to give to those um, types of uh, funds, um, but. Uh, again, it's one of those, it's a game changer. Uh, it gets brought up in every recruiting discussion I ever have now. Um, whether they're really interested in it or not, it at least gets brought up. And, and then it's really navigating that space of trying to make sure you're not saying something that's going to get you in trouble. Uh, and ultimately, that's the, the factual. I try to watch what I say on that uh, space a lot. And I get Michelle involved because she's really the expert on it. Um, and she comes in on our official visit and speaks on it. Um, It gives the factual numbers behind, you know, the different uh, items that she's working through with uh, all of our athletes.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I would try and research for this, like, you know, the NCAA coming in with guidelines blowing everything up and then rescinding those guidelines and all the stuff that's around. It's amazing. I want to talk a little about preferred walk-ons. I mean, San Diego state has had such a great, I mean, you know, Makai Shaw um, had an amazing game this past week and uh, Jesse Matthews, obviously coming that same round. I mean, year after year, there's these preferred walk-ins who are um, doing great things. How does that process of identifying those players and is there like a limit to the number of that you can have could you just kind of give us an overview on preferred walk-ons?
2: Yes. Yeah, so it goes kind of a little bit back to, it's kind of the second tier, but very similar process to kind of what I said uh, initially was um, you really have to evaluate how many spots you have, because there is a roster limit. Um, our roster limit is 115 um, on total roster. So, um, and that obviously plays into a lot of different factors of why that is. there. That's not the NCAA rule, but that is um, the university rule. Uh, just with title nine, all those different items, um, depending on what score. So different universities have different roster limits. And then again, you go back to NIL references quickly. You go back to NIL, like, uh, you know, the BYU, for example, you know, they released that all their walk-ons are, you know, having, you know, tuition covered. Um, so you got those different discussions, but we treat walk-ons uh, process very similar to our scholarship process. It just happens after the scholarship process. So once we're filled up here, hopefully, again, we want to get everybody signed in this first signing period. That's always the goal. Um, and, and then obviously you're saving some spots for the portal. Um, so you've always got that kind of playing, uh, in a nuance a little bit, but once that kind of happens and you got your high school guys and your younger guys that you've solidified signed with you, then we really start to dive into, okay, how many, um, walk-ons are we really taking now? We've already identified, you know, roughly how many walk-ons are graduating at each position. So we kind of know we build a little bit of relationship, but we really amp it up, uh, right after the signing day. Uh, the first signing day and then kind of really just look about look at it because ultimately those kids also may be signing FCS and making those decisions or going um, to a, a different program and then we kind of know who's still out there uh, when it comes to looking interested in being a walk-on so uh, that that kind of is transpiring now as we speak to be honest with you we're really starting to talk walk-ons and we're again we really start local with both scholarship and walk-ons um, and walk-ons are a unique one. Uh, there might be unique situations whether they're um you know they get pell money and or they get uh there may be military um, there may be things that help walk on stick better because ultimately it is expensive to go to college regardless um, of where you go so ultimately is it something that longevity wise cannot um, you know unfortunately not every walk-on earns a scholarship um and, and so those discussions of trying to make sure that this is the right fit um, and longevity play into to walk on opportunities. Um and, and again, those types of things uh we have we have with those uh families um and say, hey, is this something that you know true we truly need to evaluate? Is this something that can work for you? Um happens. Um and then again, we really obviously we're looking for talented walk on that's to start. Of it all, obviously, our ultimate goal is to get uh, talented football players, and obviously, well, and academics. You know, obviously, academics play a huge role in that. Hopefully, they they're high academic students, and they need to be high academic students once because that'll help them with the financials. Hopefully, they're getting an academic scholarship or different items there. But again, I'll, I'll reference NIL again. We'd love to help our walk-ons um, initially as much as we can when it comes to NIL, so that, that's ultimately an easier conversation when you for a, a place like BYU to get a walk-on because. They're financially helping them.
0: You mentioned a few times about the transfer portal, how that impacts high school recruitment. The transfer stuff happens really quick, right? The, when the portal opens, some guys are committing like that same day, right? So, how does how do you that urgency that you need to have? How does that impact your process, especially when it's coinciding with early signing day? Yeah, and this is new, and this is brand new with the the, the obviously
2: the um, two periods. Um, when it's going to be open, that's new as of this year. Uh, so uh, to answer your question, how we're going to navigate it is still um, up for debate. We have a plan, obviously, right now as we speak. But when we get in, when bulls start flying and 12-5 hits and this thing starts going and you start seeing all these names flood in. And obviously, grad transfers right now can enter. So we're, you know we're in contact with a few kids right now as we speak. Um, that are technically in the portal just because they're considered grad, which they can enter any time right now. Um, so it's a little conversation there. But on twelve five, our plan that we have to attack it, uh, we again between Coach Oga and I, we discuss how we're going to go about that, and then uh, we'll go from there. But yeah, it's going to be very unique situation. Again, positional needs is is the very first starting point, as I referenced, but. Again, when I say positional needs, it's also positional needs of looking at do you have a bunch of young guys, um, you know, because most of the time transfer portal, obviously, they're either going to be have two, um, maybe some one year remaining, uh, some three, obviously, but most of the time they're not, you know, they're going to have four years. So you're really looking at, hey, where are you uh, maybe lacking on the roster from an older, uh, you know, older standpoint or guys with eligibility left because you're trying to obviously spread the love. You never want to. That's with roster management in general. You never want to have to be reloading from a standpoint of really having to go out and get uh, a bunch of older guys because that means you didn't spread your roster well enough where you recruited, you know, in certain areas well enough throughout the time. So you really want, you know, your freshmen to be the next ones up, right? You want to build their roster that way where it's uh, transitioning kind of naturally. Um, So, again, that's always evaluated. Is hey, where did we lack um, positionally? Maybe we didn't do a good, good enough job in this class, or we lost. There was attrition. People enter the portal and/or are short at certain positions. At this, you know, older guys may be very youthful at a certain position. That's really where we're attacking the transfer portal um, and saying, hey, well, this is where we have a need uh, next year. And ultimately, again, COVID plays into the COVID years, play into that uh, very heavily. So there's a lot of discussion. We have not had those discussions uh, with our current players yet. Uh, the Jalen Maiden is the one uh, discussion that has been released that has happened. And that was because uh, it again, it was brought up uh, by both parties um, and he w- agreed to what he wanted to go ahead and make that decision. But we try to have those conversations afterwards. So we don't know exactly uh, some of the older guys who headed uh, that have COVID years left.
0: When uh, in the preseason, we had a chance to talk to coach Hoke. We asked him why, you know, he hired you into the, your role. And he spoke about you knowing what he wants in recruits. What does Coach Hogue want?
2: Yeah, it's always going to it's always going to start with character first, um, and obviously coming from uh, I've been around him my whole life. Uh, I grew up; uh, my dad was on his staff for uh, about 13 years. Um, I was raised uh, very similar from a standpoint of I was around his program all, all the time. And I knew. Two things about him, one, is built on toughness um, and getting tough football players uh, here. And then also, again, character uh, is always going to come first because in times of trouble or times of uh, uh, adversity, it's always going to kind of prevail. Uh, so that's always one thing I've always known about him. And he's a great man, uh, a great husband, uh, a great father. So that's always where it's always going to start. We're looking for those type of people to build, obviously, high character um, people. And so he always said that's the thing he told me around when he hired me in this job was uh that's what i'm i'm gonna be coming at you about and that's the the thing standards he's gonna hold me to is really evaluate those first three things obviously we want good football players and we want guys who are obviously high academic students and to earn their degree but first and foremost uh, my job is to evaluate are they a good character fit uh, and fit this program's mold um and so that's one thing that uh i do all the time. That's all I'm doing. I'm on the conversation, learning uh, what these uh, prospective student athletes are about. Um, and, and that's kind of, that's where I would say I, I do understand where Coach Hope's coming from, of what he wants uh, from that angle. Um, and again, that's the the conversation. Now, what uh, what he's looking at athletically, uh, those conversations happen all the time uh, and those change sometimes. Um, so I just have those constantly. But the character and, and uh, what we're looking for as an Aztec warrior does not change. Uh, and what the personality and the, uh, the outside stuff. So
1: a few weeks ago at the UNLV game, I had a pair of uh, strangers, grandparents come up and say, Hey man, how do I, how does my grandson get recruited better? And I gave them an answer and I wanted to, I'm not gonna tell you what it is. I want to see if, if you were asked that question, Um, What do what does a high school kid need to do to be able to elevate himself um, to to being in that recruiting process? Yeah, I
2: get asked this question. It's probably the one question I get asked, uh, because obviously there's so many. uh, And again, I'm from the Midwest. Originally, I'm from Indiana. Originally, I moved around. Obviously, I was a coach's kid. I bounced around. So when I came, I didn't realize how many high schools again, we looked at this. There's more high schools in the city of L.A. than there is all of Indiana. So I like laughed about that uh, when we looked that up. I actually thought maybe San Diego might be in comparison, but it, there is more in Indiana than San Diego. But LA, there is more. But that question's asked. Obviously, the amount of prospects there are all the time is how do I get noticed? How do I get this? The number one thing that I have now come to a realization of being in this it, and coaches want to catch a coach's eye or, or be about is in person, being seen in person either showing up to the office for an unofficial, whether if you think you're being under and the coaches not getting back to you because, you know, there's you're getting emails all day, you're getting all this, there's services, all those things. Football camps, summer camps are huge that I've noticed to get noticed at. Again, because those services are all there, you, you know, all the different uh, recruiting services are all of these camps, um, getting your name out there, and then also coming to game visits, uh, showing up on unofficials, showing up in the office. I mean, I people that show up in the office, in person is by far the number one way to get noticed. Now, I'm not saying everyone can do that. Obviously, there's distance, there's travel uh, restrictions, all those different things. But in COVID, uh, unfortunately, stopped a lot of that. At one point, it was all virtual. Uh, we didn't even have people hadn't even seen campus that showed up on you know the first day of classes hadn't even seen campus during those times. So that is the number one way in my opinion uh the emails the twitter and now twitter is probably the biggest communication piece i will say um email is is starting to die a little bit when it comes to that um you get emails and only because a lot of time honestly some of those things are flooded into the spam or junk and not even end up in those just because really email is starting to tag you know anything that looks repetitive that they're blasting out to multiple people it goes into spam sometimes so uh, I would say Twitter is the best uh, when it comes to messaging, um, if you're trying to reach somebody. Uh, and then film-wise, uh, again, that's that's an art. I call it an art because initially we're always going to start out with a highlight, but our staff specifically, we are huge on watching full-game film, uh, the subscription service we have with Huddle. We have access to all high school full-game film um, wherever, in North California, all the recruiting states, Arizona, et cetera, Nevada. Um, And so when we get those highlight tapes, you choosing those key clips, those clips matter um, because that's going to get our initial eval. And we're going to say, hey, we really need to take a look at this kid and then we're going to start watching full game tape um, on that kid. So your clip, your clip choice uh, and and what you put on film ultimately is always. And I was told this by so many guys on staff when I initially um, got here. What you see on film is what you're going to get. You can't convince yourself um anything else uh, you got to see what on film and, and that's always what you're going to get they, they may be sometimes six five and looked apart uh, you may have seen a person but what they show on film is who they are um, so we always start with that piece too is film is huge um, what you put on tape is is what you're going to be judged by a little bit so
1: i like my answer that's what i told him i say get a huddle reach out to these coaches on twitter I did not tell him to come show up at your office, but you know, now I will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you, I mean, you, you already mentioned the perfect lead into the, to the next question. You know, we, we ran a few articles um, about the summer camp um, and the winners of the passing camp and things of that nature this past summer. And just the, We're kind of blown away by how many, just the praise that these coaches who go to multiples of these talked about just organizationally, the feel, et cetera, um, from a recruiting piece, um, what, what do these camps mean? And and then, um, a follow-up with that, you know, you talked about COVID, COVID didn't allow these local kids to have the opportunity to do it. And so just for the, 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 the community of San Diego um, in general, football community to be able to get on campus and, and participate in those camps.
2: Yeah, it was huge. Um, we had a massive turnout and uh, social media played a little bit in that too. too uh, why We think we, again, I think we almost, I think we had almost 300 more kids than we ever have had um, this last uh, year. And uh, I think we did a better job of obviously getting it out there that it's available, but ultimately recruiting I'll start with recruiting wise of how we kind of handle camps is one coach Hoke is huge that a camp is not just an evaluation camp there are camps out there that is straight evaluation from a recruiting standpoint our camp is not so that do we use it for evaluation absolutely um we obviously meet and find out who's coming um to the camp and then we're really trying to obviously there's day of guys that show up and, and perform and we're really getting them on the board hey, that's what I, we just talked about a little bit how do you want to get noticed um we've Took a ton of kids from camp um, that, you know, checked a lot of boxes for us and got on our board. So we're kind of going around and got radios and kind of I'm getting those days for me. I'm right on a golf cart and I'm all around the place making sure I'm seeing um, guys at the position coach. But Coach Hoke is huge. Our camp is also a developmental camp. Um, And it is not just about them coming to be recruited and seen and get a couple reps here and there. It is to be coached and be a better football player when they leave our camp. Um, so I think a lot of people appreciate that uh, about our camp. We are going to probably end up doing two uh, skills camps uh, this go around because of the size and um, the demand we had. We want it to be very um, individualized in the sense of you don't just come to our camp and get one to two reps uh, in the camp because it's so big and there's huge long lines and the one on ones and all those. So we are going to probably do an a and a pm session for that sole purpose of to make sure um, the kids are getting coached. Uh, the kids are obviously learning something when they leave here. So I would say that's a huge emphasis of Coach Hokes. Uh, when we met on camps, um, and Ruben obviously led the charge in the camp uh, area, but uh, that was uh, a huge sticking point for him. Um, it's not just a recruiting camp. This is a developmental camp as well. Um, and then next, and I would say after that, really, the organization piece of that is you kind of your. There's so many you know, kids out there. When we, we travel to all these different prospect camps in the summer, um, it's being organized from our standpoint of making sure we've got lists of the you know, updated list of the registration list. So we know exactly hey, we need to get eyes on somebody that we liked on tape and they've already said we already have a relationship with, but we need to see in person. Maybe they're from Texas. We only got one chance to see them. We're going to the TCU camp or whatnot. Um, those camps throughout are huge uh, and it's got to be super organized uh to make sure that obviously, because again, there's so many kids, our coaches ha- can't miss them because it's our only chance to see them maybe in person. Kind of make your money's worth uh, of that traveling a coach all the way to Texas uh, to see him. So, again, that's the piece there. And then what it meant, meant to San Diego, um, I think it was huge. Uh, and I think I, I know we're talking about possibly doing a youth camp as well, uh, which I think will help the community too, uh, which will be obviously for kids uh, not in recruitable age, uh, from high school age. So, I think it was huge from a San Diego. I think it was massive turnout, uh, got to see a lot more local talent um, and talk about, again, possibly whether they're not a, a scholarship guy it helped being a walk-on maybe getting eyes on those guys but a community i thought really rallied around it and i think they were impressed by being coached and an organization it wasn't a waste of time or just a money-grabbing camp um, is what i like to call it uh it's not meant for that that's not what we're hoping it to be and if again we even said i think the most feedback we got was it was a very positive camp from that but we also self-evaluated and said hey if it's going to continue to grow, we're going to have to split into two to make sure we keep uh, our integrity when it comes to that, um, those items.
0: So San Diego State obviously had a big coaching change on the offensive side midseason. You know, Coach Haklinski, as offensive coordinator, played a big part in re- recruiting. So how did the program transition uh, from a recruiting standpoint with that coaching change?
2: Yep. And I'll be the first to say, I I was, I was very close with uh, coach Eklinski again. Uh, he was on the uh, staffs uh, that my dad was on growing up. So I obviously was with coach hope for a long time. So I was very close with him and coach Eklinski was a heck of a recruiter. Um, don't let it again. If anybody knows that one thing about him too, is he was a, a fantastic recruiter and uh, always involved and always trying to be kind of, kind of cutting edge with stuff. So uh, obviously when that all transpired, it's, it's, Not an easy conversation Uh, across the board. It's also not an easy conversation when uh, things are struggling uh, with recruits. You know that's a discussion that happens every week. I'm calling. You know, coaches are calling uh, all these kids every week to talk to them and still build that relationship. And you get those questions. Not every not every recruit asks it. Some of the recruits obviously are a little hesitant to ask the harder questions like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But. Uh, again, it was something you obviously have to address. We addressed it as one thing. We were not a, uh, we didn't hide behind doors or anything like that. Of try not to even talk about it. We came out um, and said, this is kind of the direction we headed. Uh, this is where, who we're bringing in. Um, at that time, obviously explained who coach Lindley was um, and obviously being a former Aztec and hopefully what he was bringing and kind of move forward. Uh, that was ultimately what we had to do. um, is just ultimately move forward. And now it's been fun to Obviously, over this last week, this last week's phone call for me calling uh, receivers and quarterbacks and all those—it's it's it's a lot, you know, funner conversation. You get to say, "Hey, look what you know, so and so is doing." Um, So those conversations become easier. Obviously, if you're performing on the field, but ultimately too, you try to say, you know, recruiting is kind of whatever angle you're going to take at it. Ultimately, too, if you're underperforming, there's people that are selling uh, that you're you're. That's why we need you you're coming in for that reason. Um, So that's, you know, you got maybe early playing time, you know, those types of things. That's all recruiting really is. It becomes an angled uh, conversation um, of what your program's currently state is and kind of trying to angle that to be, Hey, this is why uh, we're recruiting you to be uh, for that next bill or, Hey, this is, you're going to just come right in and I'll be the first to say, like, you know, I referenced shapers a lot of times for a long body receiver. If we're talking to a long receiver who can stretch the field I'm a reference guy as we have. I'm like, Hey, look, Shavers is, is graduating. We need somebody that can come in and, and do this. Those are the types of conversations you have um, yeah, with those types of items.
0: Yeah. Both Paul and I have had a chance to chat with a lot of high school recruits commits, you know, before they come on campus. And I, I would say hundred percent of them talk about how they feel like San Diego state is honest with them and truthful and transparent and how it's a family atmosphere, and before any of the football stuff, that's the kind of stuff that gravitates them to San Diego State, and that's definitely something you and your staff and the entire coaching staff and the players are have done, just cultivating that culture for sure. Absolutely, absolutely.
2: I, I would say that's a, a main feedback we get because ultimately, too, is those are conversations. There's uh, our hard conversations in recruiting, always are, um, just with how the the kind of realm is. But I think uh, people at the end of the day like the transparency um, and really sit back and appreciate it, whether it's not it's telling them what they need to hear rather than they, what they want to hear um, is always usually our, our approach.
0: All right. Last question. You mentioned uh, you're from the Midwest and you had some experience uh, with Coach Hoke. Can you for those that may not know, can you give us a quick background on how you got into this industry and how, you, how what brought you to San Diego State?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, so I was a coach's kid. Uh, I moved around. Um, my dad's Mark Smith was with Coach Hoke. My, my dad was coaching at, at uh, Indiana State and then when Coach Hoke went to Ball State as the head coach, um, brought my dad on. Um, he was the linebackers coach there and then uh, transitioned to be the uh, defensive coordinator there for the last couple of years that the, they were at Ball State. They then came out here to San Diego State. The first time I'm in high school at that time, I went freshman year here at Rancho Bernardo High School. Um, so I was a freshman here at Rancho Bernardo for freshman and sophomore year. Then they went out to Michigan uh, after that. And so then transpired out to Michigan. Was so obviously um, being a family atmosphere on our coaching staff, which is still is the case, obviously uh, very, very tight-knit uh, coaching staff and family-oriented. So uh, obviously Coach Hope was uh, – like another uh, father to me in some, in some ways. Um, I'll never forget uh, when I was, I actually, uh, got mono, uh, my senior year and I actually my dad made me go speak to him because I was so upset. I miss my final game, my senior year. And coach Huxley had talked me out from, uh, going, uh, going, going crazy. So again, he was like a second father to me when it comes to some of that stuff. But again, I always was around the program. I learned a lot of life lessons. Um, just seeing how he operated the program, how he ran the program. Um, And then, yeah, so then I knew I always wanted to go into coaching. So I actually um, started out as a student coach at a very small um, private uh, university called Siena Heights University. So I actually got a scholarship to coach, um, which is a really unique um, opportunity. Um, So I was a student coach coming fresh out. I was coaching kids older than me right when I went there. I was on the defensive side. I was the outside linebackers coach um, for an NIL level school. And uh, again, was getting a scholarship to coach, went four years there, loved every second of it, Um, grew a lot of uh, lifelong relationships uh, in the industry, Uh, and then kind of got out of it. And I said, I really sat down and said, is coaching, you know, obviously finished college and just coaching something I really want to do. I thought I had a space in college football, but I didn't know if it was coaching. Um, I thought, um, you know, just with my attributes that I brought, I didn't know if it felt uh, fit being a coach. So, I transitioned into operations uh, at Florida Tech. Um, My father was actually there at the time. It was a Division II uh, program um, down in Melbourne, Florida. Went there for uh, one, uh, basically did an internship, and then went right into, they hired me out of my internship uh, for uh, one semester. Uh, I was there for one semester, and then actually my dad, (laughs) again, uh, knew the head coach at uh, Indiana State, who was with Coach Hoke at Michigan. He was his DB coach. Um, and they had an operation, the intro level operations job become available there. So I went FCS right after that. Um, and then became the director of football operations there, uh, was there for three seasons. Uh, and then, uh, again, coach Hoke, uh, transpired, obviously got back into being a head coach. Um, I was, had three years of experience in operations, had heard he had, uh, had an assistant operation, job opened up out here. Uh, and then again, to kind of moved out from that standpoint, and it was, uh, story uh, kind of continues from there and then obviously was here for two seasons as uh the assistant uh under Ruben and then uh again recruiting got opened up and it was something that I always again I've always known I have had a, a spot uh in football and obviously in college football, but it was most things where I I'm still to this day am figuring out exactly where I fit but I did love everything about recruiting um and I thought I I obviously my experience of seeing it all. I knew a lot of the different uh, items and I was always involved in recruiting and operations at Indiana state. Um, Obviously being an FCS program in division two, you're dealing with kind of everything. Um, So I handle all the recruiting operations when it comes to, you know, the different official visits, meal bookings, all that stuff. So I had kind of experience when it came to all of those items, it was more of the eval stuff uh, that I would say was newer to me, Uh, truly evaluation, but then I also started as a coach. So I always thought I, you know, had some experience in those items, but that's been the biggest thing. And I lean, I'll be the first to admit it. I lean on a lot of guys on this staff. Um, and I will continue to always lean on guys on the staff, of really learning every day, uh, of what this dynamic is. And I lean on both, uh, older and younger coaches. Uh, you, you, you kind of have, uh, two different, uh, worlds going on sometimes of, uh, of how they're, uh, techniques and mottos and all those different things and again coach Horton, i will tell you uh, repeatedly if you ask how many times I go down to his office to uh, to lean on him and hear the different items you know he's experienced i mean talk about a guy who has wisdom in recruiting and all different items uh, i use those guys you got to use those guys if not then you're just being uh, stubborn and hard-headed and think you kind of you start to become that you're not forever learning um so that's kind of uh, the ultimate goal of me but that's how i got here to san diego state
0: Awesome. Yeah, we've learned that recruiting is definitely, there's no off-season in recruiting. And so, yeah, uh keeps, keeps you busy. And obviously right now with early signing period is is one of the busier times. But we definitely appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat with us and and giving us a chance to kind of pick your brain on recruiting, you know, one-on-one. No, absolutely. It's uh, great to talk with you guys. And I appreciate everything you guys do for our program. Thanks. Wow, man. Thank you. Our next special guest is Marquise Pearson, who is the older cousin of San Diego State starting quarterback Jalen Maiden. Aztec Nation on Twitter will know him under his Twitter handle, Coach Keese. Uh, He has definitely been active and very supportive of Jalen and all of San Diego State sports, uh, football particularly. And so it was a a great opportunity to, to get a chance to chat with him and to learn a little bit more about Jalen and uh, the family they come from. So I hope you guys enjoy that. We want to welcome Marquise Pearson to the SDSC Football Podcast. How are you doing today, man?
3: Doing good, man. Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome, welcome.
0: You know, Aztec Nation on Twitter knows you as Coach Keese, uh, and I believe you're related to uh, quarterback Jalen Maiden. Can you tell us how you're related to him?
3: Um, Jalen is actually, uh, my younger cousin. I'm actually the oldest, um, you know, more like a nephew. Uh, you know, I'm 36, so, uh, more of the older, older cousin, Seen him grow up. Um, but yeah, he's, he's my cousin and got to see him play a little bit this past weekend. So that was pretty fun.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good follow into our, our first real question is you were in San Diego to catch the game. I believe it was your first time in San Diego. Is that right?
3: It was my my very first time. Um, it was me, my fiance, uh, our kids, um, Jalen's little sister. Um, she was with us and our grandma. So first time, I enjoy it, and uh, I mean it was great. Brother was great. I don't know about those gas prices though, but uh, <laughs> I mean I'm still paying two ninety eight out here. So oh, wow.
0: uh,
3: don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. <laughs>
0: um, Alex, we'll get into the football game. But, like, just in terms of being in San Diego, I think on Instagram I saw you might have gone to SeaWorld, might have done some other stuff. How was that experience?
3: Man, it was it was great. Um, I mean, the kids loved it. It was offered, It was me and my fiancé's first time um, going there. Um, it was the kids' first time. Um, and just to actually see it. I mean, we have a SeaWorld here, um, but that's in San Antonio, which is a little bit away from Dallas. Um, not too far, but um, it was just amazing. It was great. Um, I wanted to go to the zoo. I think Jalen had mentioned the zoo, um, but just didn't have enough time to get around to it. But I mean, it was great. Kids loved it. Um, we had a fun, good time. Then they had a fire, a firework show, um, at the end. So, I mean, it was awesome. I loved it.
1: That's awesome. And, uh, tell us about what you thought about, um, Snapdragon stadium. I think you were a mini celebrity there,
3: <laughs> man. Uh, the amount of people that was coming up to us, um, uh, That was that was kind of crazy, but uh, I mean, it was an awesome stadium. I mean, it was a lot going on. I met the what is it, the sons of Montezuma? Mm -hmm. Went out and met them, and then he was telling us about you know the food trucks and um, the kids got to experience um, all the game, little games. What is it, the village, villa, or something like that? Aztec village. Yeah, there you go, Aztec village. Um, So I mean, it was just a lot. Um, It kind of was like a mini Jerry World. Um, (laughs) Okay, I mean. That's kind of like how I looked at it, but it was just a lot. It was a great experience, and yeah, it was fun.
1: Good man. So the game it doesn't get off the the greatest start, right? Um, Jalen throws an interception on first drive, um, but but big things turned around. I mean, he he obviously had a great game, named Mountain West Player of the Week. Um, what was it like just just watching him uh, ball out on the D one level like that?
3: For for us um, as the family, I mean, we've watched Jalen do this. Growing up and, you know, he has two older brothers, too, that we've watched growing up and playing and our whole family in general. I mean, we're just a sports family from professionals to collegiate level to, you know, myself and my my younger brother. I mean, we're older now, but so watching him, it was nothing like, oh, this is us back in the backyard as kids Hmm. playing. Um, But man, being there, and watching him actually do what we all known that he could do and in person. I mean, it was amazing. You know, it's kind of stressful. I kind of put myself like with his mom. Sometimes it's if you guys can see the way his mom watched the games, it's kind of funny because she's a nervous wreck. Cause she's like, oh, don't mess up. Okay, don't do this. Don't do this. Or she's texting my phone, oh my God, I can't watch this. I can't <laughs> watch this. So watching it in person, man, I don't know. My I think I kind of got her feel a little bit because you know, you kind of hear everybody sitting around you and they know that we're there for Jalen. And like he threw that interception and I kind of You know, I'm like, oh, no. And then I'm just like looking around and everybody's coming. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's fine. This is great. He's in a great place. We're going to get it back. And then the game turned around and uh, it was great. It was a great feeling.
0: I want to go back to Jalen in high school. You know, he was a four-star quarterback out of Texas. I think one of the highest rated quarterbacks in his class. How good of a quarterback was he in high school?
3: Uh, Jalen was awesome in high school. Um, I mean, he was the number one dual threat. Um, and which I never really got why they labeled him a dual threat. Um, because if y'all know, really, really know Jalen, he does not like to run. He His favorite quarterback was Tom Brady. Um, so he really wants to throw the ball. Uh, but in high school, I mean, out here in Texas, I mean, football is everything. So he was in a spread. Um, he ran that RPO offense. But they wanted Jalen to throw the ball. And he just so happens to run a 4-4. So when he did run, <laughs> I mean... People wasn't catching him. So he, I mean, I think I believe he went to Saxie High School and he had like almost all the records out there that was being broke by his older brother's class, James, uh, James Jr. Um, he is a 2014 class and that class was ridiculous. And I mean, the quarterback then, his name was Kent. And he was actually a quarterback at Utah State years ago. And Kent had like all of the Saxie records. And then Jalen came along as a freshman. Had them coming in sophomore and was just like breaking records left and right so they labeled him a, a dual threat just because he was running um, and he was getting all these passing yards but we would just laugh as the, as the family like he doesn't really want to run guys like but you know you had Trevor Lawrence and all of them who was like already the five star pocket passer so they went okay well he's going to be a dual threat you know just kind of that dual threat just kind of came about as high school but his high school career was crazy.
0: He, he So he signed and went to Mississippi State. Uh, you know, there was a coaching change there. Uh, didn't quite work out for him. You know, Jalen said a couple weeks ago that it was his older brother, Jared, who knew uh, Nick Inbernati, who's one of the recruiting guys for San Diego State from a football, prior football tournament, and then he made the connection. You know, when he decided to transfer to San Diego State, what did you and the rest of the family know about san diego state and what did you think of that decision
3: i know me personally me and his mom um you know his mom she tries to stay out of it as much as she can i didn't know anything about san diego state um i knew a little bit because i coach club volleyball um so we play a lot of some uh, at our national tournaments we play some of the club teams from san diego um so that's pretty much all i knew was about volleyball so when the news broke you know he sent the group message to the family and was like, I'm going to go to San Diego. Um, I instantly had text my aunt and I was like, where is he going? And so I started <laughs> doing the Googling and I was getting on it and I was like, okay. And I, you know, I was kind of confused because I was like, this is a, they're a running team. Like I only really throw the ball a lot. So it was a little, it was a little surprise for me, but you know, we've always let the boys, you know, pick where they want to go, decide what they want to do. and You know, the Mississippi State thing, that was just, you know, that was hard for the family. But, you know, he he stuck it out as long as he could. And all the coaching changes and just everything that went on just led him to San Diego.
1: So then, um, you know, he's in San Diego and he didn't get a chance to play his, you know, last year. Um, He finishes fourth on the depth chart at the end of the year. And then then they move him to safety. I guess just what what was that process like for the family? You know, watching that from a distance and, you know, encouraging him, et cetera.
3: At first, you know, we're, we're always going to be behind them. you know, when it comes to uh, supporting each other as far as the sports go. Um, it was just, you know, texting, send him a little text, you know, hey, keep your head up, you know, don't let it discourage you. Uh, but then when it came out that he was actually going to safety, you know, surprised by me, but I was like, all right, hit your brother up. <laughs> you know, your brother's in the league right now. So uh, text him and let's, you know, see what he's got to say. So I think him and Jared was sending film to each other he was helping him out um you know his older brother James is a coach right now um, at a division three level so he was texting sending him stuff I was just kind of in the background a little bit I didn't want to bother him too much because he already got all that going on and just but mentally like my grandma and you know she texts him every day at a certain time it's like hey you know a little bible verse or something like that and just kind of keeping his head up but when I saw him get in that defense, I was like, oh, he's making tackles. Like, right. And he's right. big. Like, he's right. really making tackles. And I think he had, what, like seven tackles or something like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was excited. I'm like, all right, well, we got Jared on the defense. Now I got Jalen. And then all of a sudden, he's back at quarterback. So it's just kind of funny how that works out.
1: It's absolutely incredible. And, and just personally for me, I, I've been this entire story, um, you know, I, I haven't seen anything like it. I mean, it, it just – it. You know, I've seen players transfer back to a position for death, but never to play right away and then to just be an absolute star, right? Um, but the most impressive part was talking to him at SDSU Pro Day, just on the side, you know, like a casual conversation. And he was telling me he was just very um humble about it, was telling me about getting the film from his brother and, and going through some of that stuff. Then he comes back into the after the Hawaii game, and I'm asking him, Man, did you how did you stay fresh? Did you stay fresh throwing the ball? What did you? And he's like, No, man, I was all in on playing safety. Uh, how proud of him are you for the character that he showed and being able to, you know, be selfless, do what's best for the team, um, and then to be rewarded like he has been? Oh,
3: man, I'm extremely proud. Um, I don't, I don't know a lot of athletes, you know, being a former athlete myself, I don't know a lot of athletes that had you know the star power that he had coming out of high school mm-hmm. um being a number one recruit being that, that that could that could do what he did um right. you know especially now with the portal and all that and the nil stuff you know um because that wasn't a thing at first with with mm-hmm. um and i don't know how many athletes that could just really do that change positions stay humble you know and just really, really take hold of I'm going all in in this defense position because he was really bought in, you know. And, yeah. Um, he didn't throw a single ball. Um, he had he had bulked up, slimmed down a little bit. He got cut um, just so he could move faster and all that. And so, you know, that is just humbling. And, you know, he, he took it. And, uh, you know, I'm real proud of him. And uh, I told him that when I was out there, I was like, dude, what you're doing out here, this story is amazing. And like, you just got to keep balling. Yeah. You,
1: you mentioned that you don't know how many athletes could be like that. I think we could, there, are probably could fit them on one hand, man. I, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. Uh, just Ooh, like thanks. you said, the humility and everything that he's doing, man, it's really great.
0: One, one of the things that, you know, Paul and I could see when we, would, when, when we go to practice last year and the coaches have talked a lot about in the last month is just how, his demeanor how you know cool calm collected he is not just on the field but off the field is that a, is that a family thing where does that come from is everybody in the family always cool calm and collected
1: hold on he just he just said that that Jalen's mom gets not cool calm and collected when he's watching is that the only time that she's <laughs> oh, yeah. not cool calm and collected
3: <laughs> she is she is out there um uh, she is outgoing uh you will hear her in the stands That starts with our, you know, our our grandfather, you know, he, he's passed away, but he was the loudest of, you could hear him. I mean, from my playing days, my brothers to his older brother, you know, you could hear him, Um, but no, you just kind of, the family's just, we're just real laid back. You know, we never really let let too much, you know, get into us. Like, you know, we don't get rattled up. Jalen just takes it to a whole nother level. You know, you know, he just, he's just a one of a kind type of dude. He doesn't. He's not going to be in your face. Like, if you mess up, putting your finger in his face, like all that. He's just going to lead. He's going to talk to you. He's going to lead by example. And if you watched, I don't know if you guys saw the interview with his high school coach from the USA days, um, but even his high school coach will just say he's just an even kill guy. You know, he would like Jalen to kind of be more like rah, 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 like, don't mess up. Don't do this. I need you to get up. But he just doesn't do it. And um, he stays calm. He stays cool and collected and he delivers and
1: i think given given all of the changes that san diego state went through when he took over i think that demeanor is as perfect as anything because if there was a time to panic it would be there and for him to be able to come in and have no panic i think like you said leading that way was exactly what the aztecs needed
0: so you know he's five games in i think he's put up some of the top numbers quarterback wise around the country Definitely the mm-hmm. conference, but mostly around the country as well. there are one onside kick recovery away from being 5-0 and o in those five starts. Yeah. What have you seen from him um, as a quarterback? Is it similar to what he did in high school? Where has he grown the most, you would think?
3: Yeah, that onside kick was definitely a, oh, that hurt the family, us watching on that TV because he played oh, yeah. so good in it.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, just, I mean, just his growth is, Definitely, I know Jalen. Um, Jalen's a—I mean, he is a film junkie. Um, so I know that he is—you know—reading that playbook, getting it in, in, and you know, watching film of the other guys. So just watching him do it, and I can say his growth is probably the way that he's reading now. You know, from his quick game and going through the progressions. Because I say probably in high school he would probably go one or two progression, get out of the pocket, then still throw it. Um, So now seeing him kind of working the pocket, sometimes a little longer than I would like him to, (laughs) than (laughs) I would like him to. But that's probably his strong suit is just, man, he doesn't let that pressure in his face get to him. And, you know, from the fans point of view, we're like, ah, run, you know, move, get out of there, you know, throw it. But he is he is surveying that field and um, he wants to give his guys every chance to open, you know, get open and throw it before he pulls it down and runs himself so i think for me that's his that's where i see him growing instead of having the big 100 something yard rush yards he's good with the 60 yard you know he may break one and get a 70 but passing for you know 290 something what was it the 322 first game or something mm-hmm. like that, that's mm-hmm. where he wants to. so that's his for me that's where i see his growth um, and just fitting those balls into tight windows something he's always been good at
0: now they he announced he and the coach uh, announced last week that he's coming back for his uh super senior season next year um any more trips on the horizon for you and the family to come back to san diego
3: i believe his mother will be coming down what is it not the new mexico game but the uh was the air, air force, force. Air force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i believe she will be down um Me, I would like to come down. I mean, uh, me and my uh, fiance got off the plane and we was like, oh, it's cold out here. We want to go back because it felt great out there. So we will. I mean, now that he's coming back, you know, we'll possibly get back out there. Um, You know, I coach my club season runs, you know, towards the end of that. So, you know, we just have to look at, you know, my schedule timing. But I mean, I would love to come back out there and see a play again because we definitely had a good time out there.
0: Um, is is there anything you know? We've, we've Jalen's had a lot of interviews. We've heard a lot about him. Is there anything that we haven't asked you or he hasn't talked about that we should know about him, either as a player or a person?
3: I mean, not, not really. I think uh, for the most part, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm I'm on there a lot with my my sports Twitter and a lot, and you know, I see what he's saying and all of that. So, I mean, everybody's pretty much asking him what all you know what everybody else is wanting to know. Um, Of course, we all, you know, the families all heard it and see it, you know, why wasn't he just starting, you know, at the beginning, which is kind of what everybody's question was. And it's kind of the same with the family. It's just, you know, we just kind of sit back and stay quiet and, you know, let the chips fall how how they fall, you know, it just, but it works out now. So, you know, he's there and he's making the most of it. And now he's, you know, letting everybody see, you know, just how good he was and can be
0: it was I think two weeks ago when he was at the uh the press conference I asked him about you know how his family support and what it's meant to him and he talked about how it's kind of kept him in the right headspace you know going through these ups and downs you know quarterback safety back to quarterback so you know he's definitely appreciated that and and I think a lot of Aztec fans have really loved uh, kind of the energy and the enthusiasm you guys have had, not just for Jalen, but for San Diego state. So I think no, that's no. something everybody appreciates.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. We're definitely behind Jalen hundred percent, hundred percent. We try to keep them cool and level head.
0: Last question. Uh your coach Keith. So can you tell, tell us what you coach and where and uh, how that's, how that's gone about?
3: Oh, yeah. So um, I coach club volleyball, which is, uh, you know, we're with USA Volleyball, um, Dallas Premier Volleyball Club. I've been coaching volleyball, though, for I've been with Premier for five years now, Um, but I've been coaching club volleyball for, gosh, about 12 years. Um, But I also have coached, you know, select soccer. I was football. I mean, I'm a I'm a coaching machine, so trained. Um, I started training athletes um, and then it just you know, USA Volleyball just kind of was like, hey, you can make a lot of money doing this. So I ended up staying coaching club. But, yeah, I've coached uh, the 15s, and I got the little babies, the 12s. Well, they're not little because they tall, they all taller than me. I don't know <laughs> what to eat now, but they're big. So, yeah, uh, but, yeah, I coached for Dallas Premier Volleyball Club, and I'm sure if we make it to Nationals, we'll be – I think it's in L.A. this year. I believe Nationals is. Uh, So that is the goal, (laughs) making it to Nationals.
0: Nice. Definitely pulling for you, and good luck with that.
3: Appreciate it. Appreciate it.
0: Marquise, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us. It was really cool to connect with you. Unfortunately, we weren't able to connect in person, but uh, hopefully when you do come back out, maybe next year for a game, we'll, we'll get to meet up in person.
3: Oh, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Have a good night, man. All right. You too. All right, Paul, so those are our two interviews for this 50th episode, you know, starting with Craig Smith. Uh, What were your main takeaways from that discussion? I think
1: we've all been wondering where conference realignment and using that as a recruiting tool, like where, where that was. And I just thought it was a great answer for him to say, listen, you know, we keep everything factual. But, yeah, we're talking about it. Our athletic directors talking about it you can point to these articles and saying like, look, this is good. And this, this is something that's being talked about for San Diego state. And he said, you know, we've had high level guys who weren't so interested in San Diego state. And that story breaks from Dan Patrick that, you know, it's happening and all of a sudden these people want to play. And so I think um, play at San Diego state. And so I think the, you know, the idea that if they were in a power five conference, it would just take recruiting to another level. I think you can, you can already see that possibility with just that little hint um, but I thought it was a great time to be able to talk with Craig. We're sitting here a month before signing day and to be able just to just kind of see, you know, what they've been working on, what they've been thinking about in the whole process. I, I thought, I thought it was really, really great. What did you, what did you
3: hear?
0: Yeah. Just to t- touch on your point. I, I thought it was interesting how he said that higher level, higher rated recruits started calling them to see if if it was really legit. Right. And then just that whole point about, like, class of 23 recruits, although you won't, they won't get into the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or wherever for next year, but some of those guys probably are going to redshirt. They're not really going to see the field until 2024, you know, those guys were they could potentially be in that power five, if you believe the rumors. Uh, but I think that's going to have the biggest impact on class of 2024 guys right because that's when that that's those are the guys who want to go into those power five programs and do that so i thought that was pretty cool and then just the whole nil and transfer portal thing you know brady hoken on tuesday was asked about all that stuff and he he mentioned about how you know nil has been played a big part of that he mentioned how smu has been is gives you know twenty eight thousand dollars to each player now it's remember, it's not SMU directly, right? The schools aren't allowed to have direct, correct. correct relationship on the NIL deal, but everybody knows that the schools are facilitating these things, or at least people related to the schools in some capacity are behind this, hundred percent. And so, but I also liked how Craig talked about the the initiative that San Diego State has been help brokering. Uh, with a former, I think, af- student athlete doing the NIL store. You know, I've seen those pop up on Twitter and Instagram that they, I think it came out about a few, maybe three or four weeks ago where you can go to the website and you can buy a Caden McDonald's t-shirt with his name and your number on it, or a, you know, a Max Garrison or whoever, uh, all those guys that are part of that NIL collective. So um, I think it's really cool, but I don't think a lot of people, a lot of fans, know about it. You know, a lot of people that may not see that on Twitter or Instagram may not know that they can go buy that and support the players. So I think that that was that's been a really cool thing that I've seen, and hopefully that can become bigger and better. You know, as the years move on. I agree, and and I think that you know the, the 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 key with all
1: of that is those collectives, which like they had. You know, he mentioned um, Craig mentioned. BYU, like the one you're talking about at SMU, you know, these are not pay for play, right? So you don't go and say, for instance, Hey, Jay, the maiden, you did really, really good this year. So you're going to get 10 times the amount that everybody else gets. It's everybody gets the same amount and it's completely donor driven. Um, So whether it's purchasing that, whether it's, you know, just going and saying, listen, I just want to support this endeavor and, you know, here's X number of, of dollars to be able to make sure that these student athletes can, they work so hard and they can have a little bit extra to be able to, to just have, because obviously um San Diego State, new stadium, all these things, the TV, all these people who are benefiting off of their name, image, and likeness, that they can also be able to do the same thing. And it is, I mean, it, it it's goes hand in hand with moving to the next conference. Everyone understands that San Diego State is not going to be Texas A&M. That, you know, they're not gonna be giving out million dollar contracts like you see, you know, at SC or something. But as long as something is in place, and um, I, I think it, it it means a lot to these kids. And um, I think, you know, Craig said that they, it comes up every every time, like whether it's a direct question or indirect, it it, it comes up every time. So no, I I agree. I thought that was a, a really, really interesting point. And then the 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 other takeaway for me, I didn't quite realize the pressure that he and the staff are under with Snapdragon Stadium. And how I mean that is, you know, it's just like everybody knows that this should be a huge advantage, right? But 5 years from now, all the lessons of how they use Snapdragon Stadium will be known and they can adjust and they can say this worked well, this didn't work well, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this. But right now, they're setting like the trend and the tradition of what that's going to be. And, um, you know, you, you would assume that five years from now, it's going to be harder to get it wrong. But right now they, they really do have the ability to do you make it, like you said, the first thing that they see. And so they get really excited or is it the closing piece and um, how they, you know, use Snapdragon and the newness and all that kind of stuff. It's huge and it's vital. But there's a lot of pressure to make sure that they get it done right, and I don't feel like I had I had uh, paid attention to that aspect until we had that conversation with them.
0: Right, with early signing day coming up, they've got 11 players in the class up committed verbally. You know, obviously, school representatives are not allowed to talk about those players specifically before they Mm -hmm. sign, so we couldn't ask him. You know, about those 11 guys specifically, but I'm just curious to see, you know, how many of those 11 sign in mm-hmm. december versus wait till february how many new players commit and sign in december because you know i think scholarship counts are probably starting to get a little low especially if they're holding some for transfers so you know last year everyone that had verbally committed signed except for two i think it was hassan Mahasin and josh hunter mm-hmm. who didn't sign until february but they both signed you know there was a lot of talk about why didn't they sign in december are they are they, you know, fall, you know, changing their mind or whatever? They didn't. But there's always that concern. So it'll, it we'll see what happens. You know, there's still a month to go. I think there's probably a few more positions that they're looking to fill, especially on the defensive front, that they're going to need to backfill. And But I think those are probably going to be more transfers because they need guys to come in and play with experience. What about uh, Coach Keith? What were your uh, main takeaways from talking to him?
1: I mean, you know, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. I feel like I am more excited and blown away by the story of Jalen Maiden. And they're just like, no, this was going to (laughs) happen. You know what I mean? It's just like, what do you mean? Like, you know, um, so I, I thought that was pretty neat, man. I thought it was cool how he was just like, no, that you know what, we we we've seen this in him and we've known that this is what he's going to do. And then for him to do it, you know, definitely talked about how cool it was. Um, but I, I liked, you know, it's just, I, I like, I enjoy personally, I enjoy family stuff. And so like, I, I've really enjoyed, you know, him talking about like, okay, like you're switching to safety. Okay, let's do it. Go, go, go and text your brother and, you know, get that and do that and do that. And we're going to support him and we're going to have another one. And then he says, he saw him against Toledo and was like, okay, this guy can play. And then to be there full circle, and now he's back at quarterback and all of that, man. I, I just, I really love that family support. And I thought that, that it was, um, it was just great to hear, you know, from his family, because every time that we've talked to Jalen, it's like, oh, you know, my offensive line, my receiver's my the defense did really really good the coaches have put man they put me in a good spot all this kind of stuff and and he's the guy setting the world on fire you know and just to just to get a little bit of like Jalen centered talk about this is pretty amazing what this guy's doing I thought I thought it was cool
0: my, my biggest takeaway was that Tom Brady is Jalen Mayne's favorite quarterback I would not have ever thought that why isn't he everybody's favorite quarterback that's a pretty I don't good, know, good I don't know. A, a Texas kid who who can run with a ball and which Tom Brady cannot do I, I would have thought there and left-handed I would have thought there' have been my some other quarterbacks but okay no I see it. Tom Tom Brady is the goat you know sure, that's what I ball. mean that's
1: what I mean it's like yeah
0: exactly but a lot most a lot of people outside of the New England area you know weren't big fans of Tom Brady.
1: That's true. But I think it's I think it's clearly a jealousy thing, which means you really, really love him. But you just he's not your quarterback. Um, I may have guessed Cam Newton only because I love Cam Newton because of of what he did for my nephew. But um, this that viral video of, uh, you know, him hitting that that tackling dummy 40 yards down the field and Cam Newton give him that, that that weird stink eye look uh, mm-hmm. that that's went everywhere. But yeah, no, I I thought that was that was something, and and um, you know, I, I I tried to hit on that question of why why wasn't he further along? Why didn't he stand out? You know, the thing that's always been true is is that guy is a pocket passer. I mean, that's he has really good feel, really good feet, and and he did and he did the entire time. Um, so I think Tom Brady fits pretty well. <laughs> Not that I would have guessed it, but I'm just saying.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think going back to what you said, having that family support is always is awesome to hear. Uh, but they they they're confident in Jalen's abilities with whatever he does, whether he's a safety or a quarterback, because they they know he's talented and he they know he's smart. They know he works hard. Uh, not that all of that stuff is guaranteed to have a success, but that definitely helps. And then you know, athletic and talent ability added into that, and so. It's it's really cool. I like the fact that, like, you know, he, he came to San Diego for a game and he was, you know, met a lot of Aztec fans and uh, definitely felt the love from everybody. Even after the interception, he said people were around him saying that we'll get the, you know, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. That's not typical Aztec fans, right? I, was, I, was, I, was, I was thought Aztec fans would be walking out the door John 14 nothing at that point, right? Or, trying to figure out who they could fire this time. So um, <laughs> it was, it was cool to hear that. And, and uh, hopefully he'll be back next year for a game and hopefully we'll get to meet him. Cause it definitely seems like a, a great family, great person.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that um, it's a, it's a great, I think maybe a segue in the Jalen maiden story where it's like, he's the Aztecs quarterback now, right? The past is the past it's done. And, and, you know, um, people asking me about it, like, oh man, he's looked pretty good. I'm like, yeah, for five games, it's not new. Like, this is not, this is not like you're going like, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I mean, he has almost half a season, um, under his belt as a starter and has been really good every game. And so I think that, uh, you know, it's a great segue to say, okay, it happened, whatever this is, this is where it's at. And he's the Aztecs quarterback. And, you know, they've already obviously announced that he'll be there next year. Um, and and so it just really sets up, I think, uh, a really great opportunity. Um, and it begins here with New Mexico. And what on earth are they doing on third down? That was I the craziest thing I have ever been able to see from from your preview, which is just dynamite as always. Take us through that.
0: So they have they have the twenty seventh best third down defense in the country, which is great. It's not uh, you know astronomical or anything like that, but that's really good. But the they have only giving up they have only given up five third down conversions that have been third and five or longer. Say that, that again. Is- They've only given up third down conversions five times when the team had to go for five or longer yards to get. That's the first stupid. Down. That's, that doesn't make sense. I, I had to. You know how many times I had to read that to like to make sure I wasn't not understanding you right. Before and I how many past? Se- how many past seven? Uh, one past seven.
1: So they, they've given up. They've given up four. Between five and six yards, and they've given five and him one, five to seven, and then one over seven. That's 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 crazy. Rocky Long is a wizard. That's that's something else.
0: Yeah, I, that's that's remarkable that they do that that they can do. And and I asked Coach Hoke how a, a team can do that, and he talked about how Coach Coach Long gets them to play hard and play fast and go to the ball. But you know, you, there's got to be there's more of that. They've got a great secondary they've got two of the best safeties in the conference. One's a true freshman uh, who's is tied for the lead in FBS for with, by a freshman when in, in tackles. Uh, So they've got good secondary, but still like third and five is not that long, right? You could get a quick pass to a running back. they can get five yards or a quick slant to a receiver over the middle. And yeah, that's, Remarkable stat, probably the 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 most astonishing stat I've seen all season.
1: I I think you're right, and and I think at one point the Aztecs were averaging 65 yards passing. So and I and I think this is this is (laughs) more remarkable than that one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. 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 So fifty dollars, right? We when we talk to Coach Maddox at some point, hopefully over the over the you know the off before next year. And we ask him, did you go back and watch New Mexico and study what they did on third down? Where would you take the bet?
0: If you say yes or no? Correct. I mean, you would, you would say yes.
1: Okay, so yeah, yeah, me too. I, I, I'm just like I'm, I'm sitting there going, okay. Well, I, I know somebody who's going to try to figure that answer out and what what he did that was different, and what a what a resource, you know, the the different places that 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 play the three three five to be able to 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 go through and see, you know, how these creative minds are being able to to attack it. Um, but you know, I I think that that stat is a concerning one for the Aztecs because they haven't been able to establish much on the ground. You know they've played rush defenses that come in statistically aren't very good, and they look really good. Um, And so, I mean, if if that holds, I mean, I thought that was one of Maiden's best traits is his ability to pick up those third and longs. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, I think that that really is something to pay attention to because the Aztecs haven't been great on staying on schedule and 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 setting up themselves in third and shorts. And then if that trend holds then it's going to be where the Aztecs offense has been the best under Maiden, which is picking up third downs and versus where the defense has been unbelievable. And so I think that's really interesting. And I, I think the other piece that I'd be really curious about, and again, I'd have to study it. I just wouldn't know is, is, you know, New Mexico's offense has, has been really bad. Like, like if the offense from modern day high school switched with them, I don't know who would be, you know, they always do that with the best college team, be able to play in the NFL with the best offense in high school football, be able to, you know, um, definitely would imagine that there are better offenses in the FB and the FCS and division two, probably even than what they're yeah. saying. So I would wonder if a lot of, a lot of those third downs that they're able to stop is because teams just aren't risking anything. They're just like, listen, we're going to punt and we're going to get the ball back with, with, you know, an extra 20 yards of, of field position or whatever. I think that this game is a huge trap game for the Aztecs. They, 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 they finally kind of broke the fever of a terrible offense. They're, you know, they're at, they're at their highest point. Everyone's now thinking that they're good. No, you know what I mean? It's kind of like this new feeling for the Aztecs and they're playing a team that needs to find a way to shortcut their rebuild. And the quickest way for them to shortcut their rebuild is to win on senior night, is to send their seniors off in a good way, and to beat Rocky Long's former team, to beat you know Coach Gonzalez's former team. And so I think this this if the Aztecs are not there Friday night, I I think you look at the weird scores that have taken place on Friday nights in this conference. Um, So there there's there's a classic trap game that that's there. Um for the Aztecs and 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 they need to, to show up and be ready to play.
0: It it's definitely got the makings of a classic trap game, but I just can't see how that's the trap <laughs> game. <laughs> I, agree. I, mean, I agree. I agree. I yeah, agree. There's trap, the trap games when you're looking at it and saying, Well, this team is really good in this avenue, and it's a really big weakness for us, and this team has played this well against all these other teams. I, with, other than that whole third down defense thing. Like New Mexico, so much of New Mexico's everything else has been so poor. Yeah. Um, yeah. they haven't thrown a touchdown pass since the second game of the season. Yeah. And I think in their last 53 drives, they have one touchdown scored, and they've given up two by the, to the defense on turnovers. I mean, yeah. that's a, that's like the second most astonishing stat <laughs> that I've seen. And it's came with both New Mexico, one positive and one, one really negative. But um no, last, last year,
1: last year, when, when they played in Carson, they gave up like a strip touchdown and that was it. And it, and it felt like they could have had a hundred more series against SDSU's defense and they were not going to score. It, it didn't even look like it was competitive last year. Um, so obviously if that happens again, then, you know, there's no trap that can take place, but um I'm just saying it, it It has all of the, you know, cause I can't, I can't see a way either. I can't see a way either. And as I said, I think that's a trap, but you know, the Aztecs are coming in playing their best football.
0: Yep. As, as Paul said, it's a Friday night game, 6 45 PM on Fox sports one. Um, thanks guys for listening in. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this 50th episode and all, all prior 49 episodes as well. Thanks for all the good reviews and the subscriptions and the likes and the comments. We, we read them all and we appreciate them all. So thanks guys. Have a good night. And we'll talk to you next week. You are listening to the SDSU football podcast presented by the East village times with your hosts, Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.